Welcome to NHL at the Rink, our weekly podcast covering the stories big and small of all 31 teams in the National Hockey League. I'm Dan Rosen, your host. We are recording this Wednesday morning, September 25th, and we've got a guest-laden show today, four in total, including an interview with Nashville Predator Center Matt Duchesne and a former NHL player turned survivor. But first, here are three things that have caught my attention as the preseason has rolled on here. Number one, Jack Hughes, this kid looks like the real deal. Breakaway goal against Henrik Lundqvist, smooth. The OT winner against the Boston Bruins in the preseason game. He just looks bigger than I thought he would, very comfortable. Taylor Hall told me he's a stud, hard to argue. Number two, like the trade between the Blues and the Hurricanes that we saw earlier this week. I think it makes sense for both sides. Justin Falk comes in. He establishes the right side of that defense for the St. Louis Blues. They also have Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko. Sign him to a seven-year deal. I didn't think Carolina was going to re-sign Falk, so they get a top prospect in Dominic Bach and Joel Edmondson, who's a solid bottom pair defenseman for them. Like that trade, I think it fits for both teams. And number three, there's a new market for contracts for these restricted free agents. They're three-year contracts that we're seeing, with the third year being the most lucrative in actual salary earned. And that is significant because the third year of the three-year deal, that means that's the number that the team has to qualify the player at, and that's where he starts his next negotiation. So let's look at it. Matthew Kachuk just signed with the Calgary Flames this morning. It's a $7 million AAV on a three-year deal. So it's a three-year contract, $21 million. He's making $9 million in the third year. $9 million is the starting point for his next contract negotiation. That's the carrot at the end of the deal. It helps out the Flames now. They can stay cap compliant. But Matthew Kachuk looks at it and says, my next deal, I'm starting at $9 million, probably a lot higher. Same thing with Braden Point. We saw that earlier this week. $9 million at the end of his contract for that third year. $6.75 million average annual value of the deal, though, helps the Lightning now. We've seen it from a bunch of others, too. Zach Wierenski, Charlie McAvoy, Brock Besser, and we'll probably, I think, see it from Miko Ranton and Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor. At least two of those three, or maybe all three, will get these similar type of contracts where the third year is the big money year. And we mentioned Braden Point, so that's a perfect segue to get to our first guest. Kaylee Chelios is a rising star in the media business. She's been with the Tampa Bay Lightning as their digital reporter, host for their website and Lightning Vision. And last week, she was named as an official member of their broadcast team. We got Kaylee right now. Kaylee, welcome in. Congratulations. So so what are your responsibilities in your new radio gig with the Lightning? Hi, Dan. Thank you. Um, so I'm officially a member uh, of the broadcast team, so it's great because now being a radio analyst, is now my primary responsibility. Uh, I did it last season, just kind of on a trial run through uh, some of the development camp streams, and then Dave Mishkin generously asked me to join him in the preseason, and it kind of stuck the rest yeah. of the year. I traveled to almost every game. So you know, now I, I do it officially, and that's going to be my new title is um, the radio analyst, and then I'm still able to do my digital reporting responsibilities as well, but uh, that's secondary now to being an analyst, which is great. So Lightning fans will hear you and see you everywhere, which is which is great. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, yeah, they can't get away from They me. can't get away from I mean, Kaylee and I know each other. We talked about what would be your next step. I remember having a conversation with you in Tampa about what would be, what intrigue, and this is a terrific uh, step for you. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. What intrigues you about being in the second chair next to Dave Mishkin and, and being the, the analyst and, and the one 
really taking a look at, at plays happening in the game. What, what's the intrigue for you there? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I remember that conversation and when I asked if I could just ask you some questions very well. And you know, I've always wanted to be more in the analyst role. I just think it's, it's cool and it's what excites me. Uh, I like breaking down plays. I've watched all my brother's games growing up alongside my dad and, and his teammates and, and everything when we'd all go to games and play together. So I just loved, you know, learning the game on that end and, and trying to, you know, figure out what was right, what was the wrong play, who was out of position, just learning all the different tendencies and everything like that. So I just felt like I, I wanted to add more um, in addition to, to being a reporter. And I enjoy the reporting aspect so much, but I, I wanted to be able to do even more because I thought I could. And I couldn't quite figure out, you know, where, what kind of role I could, I could fill in to do that when I had that conversation with you a couple of years back. So I know I wanted to do it in graduate school. There weren't very many women um, at that time in an analyst position on TV um, or, you know, behind the scenes. I just hadn't met too many women yet, even though they were there. They were just trying to break through. And now we're seeing a lot more with Kendall Coyne. You know, she's officially covering the Sharks on NBC as an analyst and, it's pretty cool. So it's, I really like breaking down the plays. I like getting a, being able to provide a narrative and, you know, it's really different watching the game and then being able to take six or seven seconds and, and be really concise and effective with, you know, describing what happened on the ice to fans over the radio. So I couldn't have asked for a better position to open up for me and give me an opportunity alongside Dave Michigan. He's been an incredible mentor and taught me so much in such a short time already. Yeah, he, he is terrific. I, I'm going to ask you to be a reporter and an analyst here. So let's go into the lightning a little bit. <laughs> uh, Braden Point signs the contract through your deal earlier this week. What do you think triggered the contract getting done with Braden Point? Was it more Braden? Was it the lightning? What, what do you think it was that, that clinched it finally? Well, I think it was tough. Again, hearing from what Julian had to say, it, it sounded like his agent, Braden's agent and Julian, especially Braden's agent, was like, well, let's just wait to kind of see what the market is. I think there was no intention in getting a deal done any sooner than training camp. So I think they were just kind of waiting to see what the market was going to be like at that time. And given how high it was and some of these lucrative contracts we're seeing, I think Braden wants to be in Florida. He's always wanted to be in Tampa. It was just a matter of figuring out an exact number and getting it done. And they had said that, you know, he didn't want to miss any of the, the regular season games or anything like that. He's not healthy either. So there really wasn't an eminent rush, although they did say that his health, you know, didn't have anything to do with the fact that they, you know, didn't have it done before the start of training camp. However, I think that it obviously helped that he doesn't sure. have to worry about missing too much competition because he's still rehabbing. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't think there was too much of a question. I mean, I, they had to get to the proper number, and he signed a bridge deal. That's more than any other Lightning player has. Uh, when you look at all the, the players, there's a long list, starting back to Steven Stamkos, who have signed bridge deals that have worked out very well for them. So, Oh, he'll be the Lightning's highest-paid yeah. player if he continues down this path you know oh, yeah. on his next contract yeah. there, there's no question but you mentioned the surgery uh, you mentioned the injury the hip surgery in the off season so he won't start the season what is the timeline for Braden Point right now in terms of getting back on the ice with the team and finally getting into games what are they looking at yeah so he's been dealing with it for a while actually last season like he said it was a wear and tear type thing that several other players I'm sure including Rick Ryan Callahan 
um, had dealt, dealt with, but he's going to be joining the team this week. He was supposed to be here by Wednesday, but the team has a day off today. So we'll see if he joins them in red uh, non-contact jersey on Thursday for practice, the morning skate um, ahead of the game against the Panthers. And then he's expected to be back, I think, for regular season games by the end of October. He's been skating for a while now with Barb Underhill back home, and he looks pretty good. He's in uh, pain-free right now, which is good, and uh, he's feeling great. So I think he'll be back sooner than later, but his timetable as of right now is he should be cleared to, to play in at least full contact by the end of October. He is, he is so good and so important for this team. Big picture, Kaylee, I wanted to ask you about this. Just a big picture look at the Lightning. It's going to happen. Wherever they go this season, they're going to get questions about what happened in the playoffs last season, getting swept by the Blue Jackets after their historic regular season. Is this team, you've been around them all camp now, you know them as well as anybody, is this team mentally prepared for that? Because that's going to be the mental test that they're facing. I think so. I mean, it's been nonstop all summer for them. You know, every scrum, every interview that we've done, they've continued to be asked, you know, from our staff and employees at the Lightning because it was such a hard blow for Lightning fans and, and the community. I think they're more than prepared, but they're also very ready to turn the page. I think being back at training camp has been great for them because they just want to move past it. They want to change the narrative. They don't want to look back and think about it, but I think it's good. I think it's going to be really interesting. The start of the season, we talked with Julian a little bit about the adversity they're facing. Six of their first seven are divisional opponents all on the road. They have the big trip to Sweden coming in November and historically teams have not played well when they've come back with the exception of the Winnipeg Jets from these European global series games. So I think it's going to be a really interesting start. They talked about adversity and not seeing enough of it last season being a problem for both the coaches and the players because they faced some of the hardest parts of their season in that one week of the playoffs to injury and dealing with Columbus on the rise. So I think it's going to be a really interesting start to the season. We'll see if they can play with maybe a chip on their shoulder. And although they put the pass behind them, you know, they know yeah. they have to get back on the horse and play through another 82 game season. Um, with the expectations of winning the cup again. I think it's a lot. And I think that's the hardest thing is that they have to play 82 games just to get back to it. And, and they've touched, they touched right. on it last year too when they got out, when they were knocked out. You touched on the division opponents. Two more for you. One, do you think it'll be harder for them to win the division this season? The division got better, it looks like, on paper. Do you think the Lightning are going to have a diff, more difficult time to finish first? They were, it was easy last year. Yeah, I mean, last year they separate. I mean, it was, they made it look easy with 62 wins. I mean, that was that was pretty incredible watching them play all season long. It was just like record after record was shattered. The individual awards and 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 everything given out by the end of the season. The Vesna, Hart, Ted Lindsay, you know, John Cooper for the Jack Adams. I mean, they've got all the individual awards now. They're still missing that big trophy. And and yeah, I mean, I think that the division looks really good. The Panthers, I'm very intrigued about. They'll see them five times three in the preseason, two in the regular coming up, and they look really, really good. I mean, they had the offensive ability in those top two lines and Barkov leading the way, and now they've got the goaltender they want and an extremely well-respected coach. So we'll see if they can finally maybe buy in and adjust a lot quicker to some of the new defensive schemes and systems because historically, as we've seen, they haven't been able to do that the first half of the season, and, and Bobrovsky will have to prove that he can be the goaltender they signed him for um, you know, through a full 82-game 80, season. So 
So I think it's going to be interesting. Montreal looks like they've made some really good adjustments as well. And Toronto, of course, obviously signing Marner. And and they've got a, a lot to play for this season, just given their cap situation for years to come. So I think it's going to be competitive. It's definitely not going to be easy. And I, I don't know that they can repeat a 62-win season <laughs> again. But maybe a little bit of adversity and, and a tough start to the season will be a good thing. It, it might not be. So we'll have to, only time will tell. No, I think you're right. I think adversity will be a good thing. They'll be interesting to watch. Kaylee, everybody's going to be listening and watching you, too. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Kaylee is terrific, and I think she's going to nail this job as a, as a radio broadcaster for the Lightning. She, she does a terrific job on the digital side, and congratulations to her. She also brought up some really good points uh, on the interview, one about Braden Point and the contract and the injury and, uh, and, and how you know they're waiting to get him ready to go, and it'll be probably late October, and also just about the Lightning and that mental state that this team has got to be in this season. I agree with her. They're going to face a lot of questions about what happened last season, and one of the guys that beat them last season was a guy we sat down with at the Player Media Tour a couple of weeks ago in Chicago. He was with the Columbus Blue Jackets then. Matt Duchesne has since signed a seven-year, $56 million contract with the Nashville Predators, signed it on July 1st, a country music fan living in Music City, but that is not the biggest reason that Duchesne chose Nashville. He discussed that and more when we sat down with him in Chicago. Matt, you knew the UFA experience was coming, and what was it like for you to, to go through it? Oh, it was a lot of things. I think it was, uh, it was stressful, it was exciting, it was um, a lot, but at the end of the day, we uh, were very, very excited where we're at, and um, I think it's a place that we've seen, you know, if you told me a few years back that that's where we're going to end up, I definitely wouldn't have been surprised, so um, at the end of the day, that's where our hearts were um, once it came time to make that decision, and was I'm very grateful for the stops I've had along the way. Why was Nashville the right fit for you? What, what about that market? Uh, everybody was always looking at saying, well, Duchesne's going to end up in Nashville. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the perfect fit. Why? What is it about Nashville that's the perfect fit? Um, I, think, I think from the outside, people looking in, I think they can see that I'm a pretty, um, you know, heart on my sleeve type person. And uh, I, I, I'm very passionate about the things I love. And Country music is one of them. I think sure. people put that together. That was not why we ended up in Nashville. That's a great perk. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a lot of friends in the music industry, people I've got to know over the years. And um, but at, at the same time, for for us, it was a team that we that I be, I've liked from afar from, for a while, and I think they're right there. And hopefully, you know, I can come in and help out. And um, but uh, yeah, I, I, the other part is so that the hockey part was number one. I mean, I only get to do this for so long, and when I'm done playing, I can live wherever I want, right? Right. But yeah. um, you know, so the hockey part number one, and then outside of that, for my wife and I, I grew up in a small town in Ontario. Um, you know, that c kind of country lifestyle is what I grew up with. My wife was the same, and outside of Denver, she grew up in a small town outside of Denver. And um, if you kind of mix them together, you get Nashville. So it's somewhere that we were we, with our little guy. I think once he came into the picture, I, it changed things too for me because I think I really, you know, was looking at where I wanted to bring him up. And um, there's a lot of great places in the league, and that's what made the decision to, uh, hard. At the end of the day, is is picking the right spot for all. The, all to, you want to encompass everything, I think, in your decision. I, I truly believe Nashville does that for us. So do you see? I mean, you haven't even lived there long enough to play a single game yet. But uh, as we talk here. But the way you're describing it, where your wife is from, where you're from, is, and you say Nashville is a happy medium. Is Nashville a place where you can settle for your, when you're done, too? I think that's, as of right now, that's the goal. I could also see us maybe going back to Denver at some point. But um, 
I think right now, yeah, I mean, that's our plans. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, and I think at this age, that's this stage of my life, I think, you know, I'm not 23 years old and hockey's all I've got other than, you know, my, my parents and my, my buddies. And you're not making decisions for them at that point. Now it's like, I've been married for a couple of years. I've got a little guy. I mean, we're going to try and we're obviously going to try and expand our family. Um, and that's where I, he's going to grow. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I think, I think some of the values of down there really reflect, you know, how I grew up. And I think obviously he's got, going to have to live in a different area. He can't, I can't bring him up in Halliburton, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, um, I think uh, it just, yeah, it just reflects kind of who we are as people and that everyone's so nice. That kind of Southern hospitality is very similar to the, what you get in Canada with everyone being uh, so nice. So um, I think it's a great and polite and, good, you know, good way to, you know, uh, we're Christian as well. So I think it's a great, a great place for that. A lot of people have that same belief. And um, I just think there's a lot of things that align with who my wife and I are as people. I, I wondered though, having covered you guys in the playoffs and talking to you in the playoffs when you were with Columbus, how close Columbus would come to, to being the spot? Because I know you liked it. Yeah, I did. You did like it there. Yep. How close was Columbus? Was it, was that part of what made it a hard decision? Yeah. Uh, I'm not really going to go into how close or how not close because I would get yeah. into the specifics, but no, Columbus was a team that we very much considered. Um, I loved the guys there. I mean, that was the same with Ottawa. I mean, the, it was the same in Ottawa too. The two of the best group of guys I've ever played with. I, I they, When I got into Columbus, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on that team, especially when Yarmo did what he did in, in terms of, you know, going going all in for it. And I still think that, you know, uh, that you know that Boston series was tough. I think it was it could have gone either way, and you know we could have ended up in Game Seven in the sure. finals just as easily. So I think it was uh, it was a great experience. I've never seen a crowd like the Columbus crowd. Um, you that know, was nuts. That was insane. That I was think. nuts. I remember and, that. And yeah. obviously, like me saying that, like you know, people would be like, "Oh, he's biased." I didn't really, I didn't have a predisposition bias because I was so new, and it was just it just blew me away. So I'm excited now to go to Nashville because everyone knows about their crowd and. Um, I know it can be, you know. I'll tell you, the crowd during the Stanley Cup final when the Predators were I in, can't even imagine. Was yeah. insane. Yeah, I mean, probably it was, the loudest you've ever heard. It feels heard, like, right? I, I can imagine as a player, it, it would feel like they were on top of you. Yeah, the building. I mean, everyone on the ends, everyone. I, one of the things I always loved about playing there was the atmosphere, but also the like the, the crowd in the corners. It feels like you're, they're right on top of you. It's like, it's pretty neat. Uh, it's always been one of my favorite places to play, so I'm hoping I like it just as much on the home side of things. <laughs> well, now there's a little more pressure on the home side of things. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, this does, though, signing that contract with Nashville, landing there, getting there, moving. Have you found a place to live? Have yeah, you? we have, yeah. Okay. So moving there, getting settled, it ends two years of weird, doesn't it? Yes, yes, I, I mean, does. I it, think of the... The yeah. end in Colorado was strange. Very strange. Then you go to Ottawa. Your first game is against Colorado. Yeah. In Stockholm. Yeah. It no, that's well, strange. I, then my, yeah. you remember my first game with Columbus? Uh, your first game with Columbus was against Ottawa. Correct? I've got to be the only yeah. guy in, a, in yes. sports history, right? Yeah. Twice yeah. get traded. Has to be. <laughs> it's really funny when Pierre Dorian called me the first time after I got traded, and we were laughing about how it all happened. And it was funny because I called it before the game because I knew it was close. And my agent told me what time some people were talking. And I'm like, well, we play at that time. So I'm kind of like, and I still remember looking back and seeing our trainer get the kind of the radio to bring me off the ice. But I called, when Pierre called me, I said to him, Pierre, I said, I don't know why, but weird things follow me around. And I said, 
I, as you just saw. So I said, just be prepared for that a little mm, bit, right? Weird. So, yeah. and I mean, I don't know what it is. My wife is always like, what is going on? I remember when you walked off the ice during a TV timeout at Barclays Center. Uh, you was, were on another team. Yeah, it wasn't even a TV timeout. It was injury oh, timeout. Oh, injury timeout. Como yeah. got hit in the head Como with the got puck. Hit. That's correct. And they're yeah. like, hey, just follow him off. And of course, I'm in one of the only rings that so you can't just walk down the tunnel. Nope, no one even on notices you, right? So yeah. I sat there for like seven minutes before I got off. And you knew. So, and yeah. I, I knew at that point. Yeah. So I looked up at our, at our coach at the time. He just gave me a nod like that. And I was just like, okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm toying with writing a book at the end of my career. Hopefully there's a happy ending to every, all of this. And it, you know, we win a cup in Nashville and right. you ride off into the sunset, but, um, it, but it, it's been crazy. Some it's of the two stuff years I've of seen. weird. I mean, yeah, this is some totally. strange stuff. So yeah. is it, do you feel like it's finally behind you? I definitely don't seek it out and I definitely don't <laughs> want it, but um, hopefully it's good drama now and, uh, right. and not weird or, or, you know, just obscure stuff like that. Wanted to get into some of the other things, some more personal stuff. So what are your, like, so fans can get to know you on a, sure. on a different level yep. too. What are some of your likes and dislikes? I think most people know because I'm pretty public with it. I, well, number one, my new favorite thing is being a dad. Um, yeah. That is the coolest thing in the world. My little guy is, uh, I'm so proud of him. He, he smiles and I'm proud of him. He, he, he grabs something with his hand. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. Um, How old is he now? He's eight. He's gonna be eight months on the ninth. So eight months on September. He actually 9th. started crawling yesterday while I was in the air. I missed him by just hours. So Did you get a video. My wife got a video. Yeah. Okay. So pretty cool. Um, he he. Uh, so that's that's the first thing. Um, then uh, other than that, fishing, playing music, listening to music, country music. It's all country music for me. I mean, that's and and you know that's I think why people always pointed me to going to Nashville. Um, so definitely a nice perk to have in town. What do you play? Guitar. Guitar. Yeah, very. Very basic. I mean, I can pull out, I can play at the campfire and you can tell me to play something. I'll look it up on my phone and, okay. and I'll play it. So I can, good skill, I can, I can kind of do that. Yeah. So, um, I've played with some local bands every now and then they have me come sit in and play like just some covers and stuff in town, like in my hometown. So I've played with some guys. I played at the all-star game with Lee Bryce in right. Nashville a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, very basic. I'm going to take some lessons when I get down there. So I'm excited for that. Um, uh, like I said, fishing. Uh, I actually just bought a wake surf boat last summer, so I've really, I've tried to get better at that and get into that. I love it. It's it's so fun. Yeah. Uh, Saturdays, all my friends come over. We go out and That's surf great. all day. So um, just being at the lake, a lake life, Lake Ont- Ontario lake life, Canadian lake say. life. That's right? the best. There's nothing better. My wife's from Denver. She had yeah. barely seen water in her whole life, and her favorite place on earth is uh, Halliburton, it's Ontario, Halliburton, so, no. which is really cool. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, appreciate thank you. It. Appreciate it. Always enjoy talking to Matt Duchesne. I think he's a terrific interview. He's open. He's honest. I really like what he said about perspective, that he's making decisions now for a family, including his son, Bo, and that he thinks Nashville could be home for good when he's done playing. I also really like Duchesne's story and how signing with Nashville sort of ends that two years of weird, of nuttiness that we talked about in the interview. And, and I was with him when he was traded from Colorado to Ottawa. We rode the freight elevator up together. I was interviewing him at Barclays Center as he was going up the freight elevator to go to a car that was going to take him to Ottawa. He thought it was taking him to a team that was a Stanley Cup contender that would win. That didn't happen. Thought it would be the same in Columbus. That didn't happen, though they got one step closer and now he thinks it can happen in nashville you know what that could be the perfect fit we're certainly going to be keeping our eye on the predators and him throughout the entire season transitioning now to something a little bit out of the box here for us on nhl at the rink tom laidlaw was a defenseman in the national hockey league from 1980 to 90 played for the rangers and the kings and now 
He is a contestant on the 39th season of the show Survivor. First episode airs Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS. And Tom, thanks for doing this, and this is obviously unique. So I've got to ask, let's get right to it. How does a former NHL defenseman become a contestant on Survivor? Or maybe yet, maybe a better question is, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, great to be on with you. I love what you're doing on TV. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank uh, you. Um, you know, that's, that's, it's funny you ask the question. I think I kind of asked myself the question when we first got dropped off on the island to play the game. I was like, wow, I'm actually doing this. Uh, <laughs> it all started probably a couple of years ago. Uh, I was asked to uh, potentially be on uh, Amazing Race. The concept was that I was going to be on with another former player that I was, you know, I played with, he was friends with, and we really couldn't find anybody that fit. Either somebody didn't have a passport, or they just they couldn't get the time, or they were in shape, or whatever to do it. And then it shifted to uh, Survivor, and it really, uh, you know, my I, my business now. I do a lot of motivational speaking and podcasts. Uh, their book coming out, and it's all about, you know, devotion and discipline and dedication and integrity. And you know, some of those things apply to Survivor, but the integrity thing certainly didn't apply to Survivor at all. So I had to really get my head around the fact that, okay, that's if you have to mislead people or you know, red lie to them, that's the game. That's really not who I am. And once I you know, figured out, okay, that's fine, I can handle that, uh, we dove in head first and, and gave it a shot. And, uh, it was it was a blast, the whole process, just trying to get on the show and you know, ultimately getting on the show. It was, it was just, it was like you said, it's unique. And especially for me, it, you know, I turned 61 when I was out there on the island. Uh, you know, and I didn't want to play like an old man. I wanted to play like a player, and I, I've kept myself in great shape and everything. But still, mentally, you know, you got to get yourself ready to go. And I, I felt like I did that. So, the whole process going into it, training for it, and everything was a lot of fun. Bigger challenge for you: competing on Survivor at 61 years old, or trying to survive and extend your National Hockey League career when you get into your 30s. Yeah, wow, that's a great one. You know what's funny? Um, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> I, I think I was more prepared um, for the survivor experience than I was for the end of my career. I think okay. all along to me, I think a lot of players, when they play, you have to have a certain level of this stubbornness that, uh, you know, that I, you know, I can do it. I don't care how what the odds are, you know, just to make it to the NHL, right? You know, you have to, all these people are saying, well, yeah, sure, you want to make it, but the odds are against you, you make it. And, you know, I was never that really talented player. I just had to show up all the time and be that captain or assistant captain. Uh, so I kind of had this tough, you know, farm boy mentality that, you know, just keep grinding it out all the time. Don't ever get on the training table because, you know, that's a sign of weakness and all those things. <laughs> and at the end of my career, you know, my back started giving out. Uh, all those things that made me a player kind of hurt me because I, I had the stubbornness. I, I wasn't going to get on the training table. That's the worst thing, right? Just just deal with it, suck it up. Um, so I looking back at it, I certainly would have said, listen, you need to learn things. I watch other players like Zdeno Jarrett now getting older and he changes his training methods and everything so he can continue to play in the NHL. And so I look back and I wish I had been like that when I played. Uh, so now being older at 60 and 61 going on Survivor, I felt like I was more prepared for the mental part of it. You know, the, you know, like to me, I really learned how much more your mind controls your body and everything. So I was much more prepared to get out there and play the game. I, I've been trying to think of what parallels we can draw between being a contestant on Survivor and being a National Hockey League player. It's not easy, but I wonder, if being a contestant on Survivor anything like playing overtime hockey in the playoffs, where it, you, you win or you go home? Yeah. Well, and part of it is, too, yeah, that's a very good point for you, Dan. I, I guess the additional part of that, too, is that like even I guess it compares to playing the game too. Even if you are the best player out there, or if you're feeling you're doing everything right, 
that could actually be the reason that you get voted off, you know, because you put a, you're a target now because you're such a good player. So I guess it compares to, you know, when you're playing on a team and you're playing in a, an overtime game, you could be playing a fantastic game and doing everything you need to do, but just the puck doesn't bounce your way or whatever happens and the other team scores and it's all over with. And that's, that is the same way with Survivor. If somebody decides that they want to get you out for some reason, they can rally enough votes against you, uh, then you're getting voted out. It doesn't right. matter really if you're playing the best game or not. Another bigger challenge question for you. I, I, I want to ask you this one. Chasing Mario Lemieux around the ice <laughs> or sleeping on bamboo outdoors in the rain in Fiji when you know your fellow contestants are plotting against you? Uh, What's uh, harder? Yeah, that's a tough one. I always tried to stay in front of Mario. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was somewhat easier back when I played, too, because we could hook and hold all the time, too. So <laughs> Can't do that now, that no. Mean you, that doesn't mean you stop them, but uh, it was easier. Um what was I that like, though, stuff. sleeping outdoors in Fiji? I mean, in the bamboo and, and trying to just adjust your life to live in these elements. You know what? It's going to sound strange, but it, it, you really just got used to it. And it, it is strange for me to even say it. Even the lack of food. You know, I, like I normally I monitor all my, my intake and my calories and everything now. And I usually bring in somewhere between 3,000 and 3,500 calories a day. But out there, there's rice and coconuts. I'm told it was like around 300 calories My a day. goodness, so yeah. You're constantly losing weight. You're done at the energy level, but all that stuff, like even like you're right sleeping on the bamboo. Is that bamboo? I hated. I mean, <laughs> the, the rain in the middle of the night was the worst part too, because it's just annoying. It was never really that rainy for us that we got soaked, but it's just annoying. You can't sleep. So those things were annoying, but man, I can tell you, like you, you get used to those things. Like you get used to not eating. You're, you're not brushing your teeth. Uh, it's funny the things you get used to that you're, you're filthy, dirty all the time. But you just you get into game mode and you're you're really playing the game twenty four seven because even in the middle of the night people are getting up, uh, maybe they're looking for idols or they're, they're planning a strategy and you're going to be constantly aware of what's going on or you're going to lose out. So it's it was a constant. The the, the game on Survivor dealing with all that stuff was that was tougher. I, I would say that was tougher than dealing with Marilyn Mew. Was was that the hardest part about it? Just that constant twenty four seven. You had to be on even in your sleep. You had to be on. Yeah. But you know what, though, Dan, I hear you say, like, tough, but honestly, it, it was a blast playing. Fun. I know it was like, yeah. yeah, it was like that whole strategy part, that whole, like, constantly being on guard, knowing that, like, if you go into it prepared, knowing that somebody's going to be, think people are saying things to you, they're your buddy, they're your pal, or whatever like that, but don't trust them. Like, you know, like, once you get in the mindset, it was actually kind of fun. And we had a great group on our tribe, too, uh, that were, like, funny. Like, we switched some fun times, and we all kind of understood, okay, we're having fun together, but, yeah, we are all planning to, you know, plotting to stab each other in the back, right? So it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of weird thing, but, you know, it, it, was, it was, that part was fun. How did your training for this compare to your training as a hockey player? Yeah. Well, for me, it was, the biggest part was the mental part. You know, I think we all agree that, like, with sports and in life, like, it's, like, in sports particular, it's, like, probably 70, 80% mental, right? We always talk about that all the time, but we, we tend to train our bodies more than we train our minds. And uh, so I had a, friend of mine is a really good trainer and he's really into the mental part of training like you know not just the physical but how you prepare yourself to train and what you get from it mentally and um, he would do things with me so I would he'd give me a poem and I'd, re- I'd be memorize the poem be able to recite the poem perfectly and then he would do something to elevate my heart rate he would make me mad have me ride a bike whatever it is and then I'd have to go back and recite the poem again and inevitably I couldn't remember all the poem once my heart rate got elevated and it was for, at first it was like a shock just to understand that that's the way I reacted to to my heart rate being elevated. And then it's okay, what do we do about it? So I had to 
practice what I need to figure out what worked for me, not necessarily what worked for Dan Rosen or somebody else mm-hmm. to slow my heart rate down and be able to think clearly. And mine was to just like literally take a, like a big deep breath, like make my body like a big motion to take a deep breath. So what, and I, I did that over and over and I could, you know, get to the point where I could now recite the poem again and, and control my breathing and all that stuff. So it was, that was really interesting, just that process of training for it. And it's funny, I got out there on the island. I, I can't tell too much, but at right. first, I forgot about that. I got a little too excited. The adrenaline got pumped too much, but then I settled myself down and, and remembered my training, and uh, it helped me a lot. What, what a, I mean, that's a fascinating way to train yourself, to mentally train yourself, for, especially for yeah. what is the ultimate grind. I mean, really, this is a grind, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and, and looking back at it, Dan, that's, that's something that I would, with my career, like I think for players now, I think a lot of players do similar kind of stuff, but for me to look back at my career, I wish I knew all that stuff back then. You know, that was, you know, it was the eighties and it was just like, it was hard, you know, play harder. And, you know, it, and just if I had to control myself, you know, you get in the middle of a big game and you're tired at the end and you, you, know, you got to control yourself. Um, I would rather have, you know, known that stuff now, how to control my breathing and my mind. Before we let you go, we do have to ask you a hockey question though. The, the Rangers, your former team, just down the road from where you are in Connecticut, uh, what do you think about the Rangers right now, this remake of the Rangers, getting Panarin, Truba, Fox, Kako, the rebuild of yeah. the Rangers? Well, it's gone a lot faster than I think anybody thought it was going to happen, but the biggest thing, to me, the biggest addition they've made is their, their coach, and their Coach Quinn. Uh, I, I Actually, we belong to the same gym, and I saw him probably about two weeks ago, and I told him this too. I said, I had had Brooks for four years here with the Rangers, and you know, during that four years, I, I wouldn't tell you even – that remotely that I love the guy at all. In fact, <laughs> sometimes I hated him because he was constantly pushing you to get the most you could out of yourself. And, and uh, like later on in life now, I still think about the things that Herb did for me. And I really, you know, he's I've lost him now, but uh, I love the guy for what he did for me. You know, he would talk about, you know, things like passes come from the heart. You know, and what he meant was literally, you know, pass the puck, you know, put your heart into it, make it happen. But I really think that he was passing along kind of a life lesson too, that, uh, you know, get the most out of you. You're going to, whatever you do in your life, get the most out of it. And that's what I watched Coach Quinn do with his players. I, like when I saw him last year put people up in the press box, you know, he was sending the message that is not good enough. Your effort isn't good enough. Your conditioning isn't good enough. But I thought he always did it in a way that was kind of kind of, kind of strange, but kind of supportive. Like he was, you know, he's sending the message, but he's also saying, listen, you're a great player, but we need more out of you. And I think uh, to me, that's one of the biggest things that this, the culture for the Rangers that they've got going now with those great young players that you mentioned uh, is one of the biggest reasons I think I think they should make the playoffs this year. A lot of people are watching them. They'll be watching you too, Tom. Thank you so much for doing this. Survivor, the 39th season airs. The first episode airs Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Thanks a lot, Tom. Great, Dan. Thank you. Unbelievable stuff from Tom. Just a terrific guest. <laughs> that dude's a man. I'll tell you, what, he could do a lot of things. He's 61 years old and he's doing all that. And I also really enjoyed what he talked about, about with the Rangers, the, the hockey perspective mentioning that he goes to the same gym as David Quinn. He's spoken to David Quinn. And the anecdote about Herb Brooks, I thought that was excellent stuff. So great stuff from Tom. Before we get to our final guest, I wanted to answer a question that I got on Twitter. Now, every week I do a mailbag for NHL.com called Over the Boards. I get questions on Twitter. Can't get to them all. One that I wasn't able to get to this week that did catch my eye, though. What team do you see being this year's New York Islanders? Meaning, a team that everybody thinks is going to be bad, but they end up being good. I think it's a great question. My answer is the Columbus Blue Jackets. I know they lost a lot, but they have a lot of high-end players still. 
I'm as guilty as anybody in thinking that the Blue Jackets are going to regress. They're going to take a step back. I, I didn't even pick them to make the playoffs. We just did our predictions for NHL.com, sent them in. They haven't run yet. But I did not put them in the playoffs. But they won't be that bad. A lot of people are picking them to be bottom in the Metropolitan Division. I, I don't see that happening. They won't be close to bad. They'll be right in the mix as long as their goaltending holds up. That's the biggest question. Yunus Corpusello, Elvis Merzlikens, can those guys who have no experience as a number one really hold up? But I think Seth Jones will be in the Norris discussion. I expect a big year out of Pierre-Luc Dubois. There's a lot of talent in Columbus, even though Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky are gone. And that chip they have on their shoulder is legit. They'll use that, the doubters like me, as motivation. But a team I am doubting this year is the Winnipeg Jets. And that's where we go for our final guest, my colleague at NHL.com. Tim Campbell, he covers the Jets, the Oilers, all of Western Canada, really all the NHL for us. Tim, thanks for joining us, and i got to start with the obvious, Tim. What is the latest on Dustin Bufflin? Well, Dan, there hasn't, hasn't been much official at all from the team, and so we are left with uh, some amount of speculation. There's been some reporting that Dustin is uh, contemplating his future, and that includes retirement, and I, I'm led to believe that's accurate. Last season took a big toll on Dustin. Uh, I am told that his concussion and his two ankle injuries that limited him to 42 regular season games uh, really weighed on him. It took a lot of the fun out of the game for Dustin. And if you know anything at all about Dustin Bufflin, he's, he's not only a unique hockey player in that he's a, he's a monster of a man who can move around the ice uh, very well. He's got soft hands, a great hockey brain, and when he gets in your way, uh, you should run for cover. And there are a number of NHL players that can uh, attest to that. Mark Stone is one of them. Uh, I recall a horrific hit here in Winnipeg a couple years ago. And it's, to me, it's amazing Mark Stone is still playing. Um, so Dustin, he just, he just has lost, I think, some of the buzz. And he's trying to reevaluate how much he wants to do this anymore. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Um, maybe he just needs a short break to sort of revamp his enthusiasm. I don't really know how this is going to turn out, but to me, the longer it goes, probably the worst the worst of news is going to turn out for the Jets, that uh, missing an impact player like this uh, is going to have, well, it's going to have a big impact on their lineup, and I don't think it's going to be positive. Do you think this could be a situation where Buff carries this into the regular season, the uncertainty, and and maybe we don't see him until December or January if he's ready to return? And I think that's a distinct possibility that, you know, he he maybe believes he needs to heal up a little more. Again, I'm just kind of trying to put myself in his shoes, um, you know, knowing how much fun is important to him in the game. You might sort of laugh at that if you're an NHL fan. and um, You think it's kind of all business and all serious. But Dustin Bufflin, he's such a character off the ice, and I really, really believe that fun is as much – as is important to him as his contract or, you know, any other of number a number of things that are important to NHL players. He's, he's a cantankerous. He's got a wicked sense of humor. He loves to, he doesn't actually like to do interviews very much, but he's been known in interviews to, you know, drop the odd four letter word. Into <laughs> yes. It, I've, like, I've heard that. Yes. So that, you know, radio and television, especially interviews are kind of ruined he loves to do stuff like that, practical jokes with his teammates he's known for. People behind the scenes that, that I know, 
that do know him very well, they they cannot believe what a character he is. So we don't seem to get very much of that in public. So, you, you know, if some of that joy, I guess, of, of playing hockey and being in the NHL is gone for him, you could see why he might be reevaluating things. And th- this really couldn't come at a worse time for the Jets, right, Tim? I mean, you've got the contract situations, which we'll get to next with Line and with Patrick Line and Kyle Connor. You've got a D that you know, lost half their blue line. The team that lost half their blue line with Jacob Truba, Ben Sherratt, and Tyler Myers leaving, and now Dustin Bufflin potentially too. It couldn't come at a worse time. I agree with you. I, it's To me, it's, uh, you know, I can't even compare it to anything. I, I was talking with a, um, a person from another NHL organization you know, about a, three weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, the Jets defense, as you mentioned, Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, Ben Sherratt, all gone to other teams now. And now I've had this conversation with that same person again just recently who said to me, wow, if Dustin Bufflin doesn't come back, has there ever been a team in the NHL that's gone from one season to the next having lost four of its top five defensemen? That, and that's a question I have no answer for. I don't, I, I don't even actually know how to do the homework, I guess, on that. Um, it puts the Jets in a really precarious situation. I know they... They really like some of their young players and their developing players coming up, but I don't think any, uh, even I don't think any genius GM could envision, you know, putting four sort of new young faces into his lineup just because he felt they were good in at one particular time. I mean, you're always going to gradually bring in prospects and give them a little more rope and you know those kinds of development things, but just sort of plopping four out. And bringing in, you know, four of your top five that knew the next season and mostly young players, I, I think it's unprecedented. Yeah, it's very hard to deal with, obviously. Let's talk about some more positive news with the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> I, I joke, obviously. <laughs> Any movement on the contract situations with Patrick Line and Kyle, Kyle Connor? I mean, we've now seen this, the three-year deal with restricted free agents has become a thing. You know, we Braden Point, Charlie McAvoy, Zach Wierenski, Brock Besser, now Matthew Kachuk where the third year becomes the, the bigger payday in actual salary, you think, you know, will this open it up for Line A and Connor too? I, I think this probably helps the, the Patrick Line A negotiations. Again, I'm just, I'm just guessing here sure. based on what's happened and what we've heard that Line A's camp is looking for. I could see now a path to a contract for Patrick Line A probably following this template of three years. Work out the work out the dollars. Probably have some kind of you know escalating salary um, to arrive at an AAV somewhere around what what Besser and or uh, Matthew Kachuk have have got approaching probably seven million dollars. That I can see that being the the path to a deal for Patrick Lyon and Kyle Connor. I don't know. We keep I keep hearing that he's re- he would rather have the term. And so that they, you know, they're probably exploring something longer than than this. And I have a feeling they'll they'll both come up with a, a solution. I, I I don't I just can't see either of these players for the Jets being militant enough or being you know demanding enough that they're going to sit out games in October, the the real games in the regular season. I don't think either player is all that interested. Obviously, they want to get a fair deal, but I just. I can't really see it going beyond next. So week. you think I'll see them at Madison Square Garden when the Jets play the Rangers next week? Well, I do. I would put it in, you know, better chance than not. Um, you know, the other thing is, 
I don't, I don't, again, I don't want to put words and thoughts in, in the players' mouths, but I, I'm sure they realize what's, what's happening with their team. And, you know, I don't think the Jets are a team that want to get off to a terrible start here. They're already, they've already got some challenges for this regular season. I don't really think they're, they're enthusiastic about getting behind the eight ball, you know, in October um, when it might be avoided. Not in that division. You can't do it in oh that my, division. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, then that's just a, another that's Central's loaded factors here with Winnipeg, right? Yeah. They, they, and, and they start out with four of their first five games on the road to the Jets. I mean, this is, this is not an easy situation for the Winnipeg Jets. But let's bounce to another team that you cover closely. I think you're heading to Edmonton next week, right? Uh, to I let, am. Let's touch on the Oilers. Connor McDavid plays nearly 20 minutes in his preseason debut Tuesday night. Do you think there's any other hurdles that he has to clear to be ready to go to start the season on time? Is that knee okay? Well, I'm not sitting in the medical meetings with you know the doctors. Nor am I. <laughs> I, I. From what we can see from the outside, I mean, they have they have played this very smart, very cautious. The Oilers and, and Connor, I think they've done everything right since this accident happened and in the game on April 9th, I believe it was. I, they've they've been cautious. They've been thorough. They've you know, made sure Connor's feeling right. They haven't taken any risks along the way here with his rehab and his training and his practicing and his skating. Um, so the fact that he went into a game on Tuesday night, um, I, it's got to be brilliant news for the Oilers, and it, it looks like he's come out unscathed. And uh, I'm already looking forward to seeing him next uh, next Wednesday against Vancouver. He'll have that fire, uh, as he always does, no matter what the situation. And, you know, he makes the Oilers such a better team you know i can't even put a number on it it's multiples when he's in there and he's got the got the taste in his mouth the oilers you know will at least have a chance can their goaltending give them a chance to be a legitimate playoff contender they got mike smith and miko koskinen what do you think tim i think I you just said it yeah, all right I there <laughs> i don't have them in the playoff there was a big sigh i know yeah it doesn't probably go well with podcasts no but it but it, it, it extra- described the answer we're about to get i think <laughs> I don't have them in my among my teams picked to be in the playoffs, but I'll say this: um, I have a pretty high regard for for Mike Smith. Uh, I know he's got a lot of miles on him, and I know there are so many skeptics out there about his goaltending. But I really like the sign he gave last season in Calgary. He struggled um, as he often has in his past, but last year's trajectory was to me kind of different than his recent pass where he got a whole lot better in the second half. And he was, he was probably, I think not probably, he was their best player in the playoffs. I know they went out early, um, but if, you know, it would have looked a whole lot worse if Mike Smith not stood on his head in the, yeah, in the 100%. one round of playoffs they had. So he went out probably on a really good note with optimism. And I, I have a feeling that shows you he's not only got the fire, but he can still stop the puck under pressure. What Edmonton's going to need is probably some health with their blue line. You know, they're going to try to bring in uh, a new defenseman or two, whether it's Joel Person or Ethan Bear or somewhere down the line here, um, uh, Seth Jones' brother, Caleb Jones, and or uh, Evan Bouchard, a really, really fine prospect Edmonton has. They're going to need some health with their blue line, people like Oscar Kleffbaum and uh, Adam Larson, and Darnell Nurse, they need some help from those guys, and they're going to need good timing as they try to rotate between Koskinen and Smith. What they don't need, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is what they don't need is for Smith 
and Koskinen to be sour for the same two weeks at any point in the season because two or three bad weeks will put the Oilers you know, behind the eight ball again. And it's a position they're all too familiar with. They, they're going to need good timing with their good goaltending this year because I'm sure they're going to get some of it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I don't, I don't think the Oilers can survive poor goaltending at any point. Tim, this was great. Covered the Jets, covered the Oilers. Appreciate it. Looking forward to the start of the season. Thanks for doing this, Tim. No trouble, Dan. Let's do it again. So there you have it from Tim Campbell, and you can follow him on Twitter, at TimNHL. Uh, he and I are in agreement. Uh, we're both worried about the Winnipeg Jets and what's going to happen there, especially with the Dustin Bufflin situation. So we got to wait and see on that. And, and that really does it for, for this episode of NHL at the Rink. Thanks to our guests, Kaylee Chelios, Matt Duchesne, Tom Laidlaw, Tim Campbell. Uh, be sure to follow the other podcasts on the NHL Podcast Network. you got Executive Suite with Deb Placey, Fantasy on Ice with Pete Jensen and Rob Reese. Regular season opens next week, and that's when we'll have our next podcast. Until then, I'm Dan Rosen for NHL at the Rink.